Let me read uh, Romans chapter 16. I'm going to read all of it. Uh, wonderful. There we are. We've got, we've got skipped a whole row for you. Uh, we've got a, a, a Sri Lankan takeover tonight, which is wonderful. Um, but but uh, <laughs> these wonderful Sri Lankans uh, live just around the corner from here. Which is why they're late. The Coventry lot turned, <laughs> turned up 15, 30 minutes early. Uh, wonderful to, to have you all here. But I'm going to pray Romans chapter 16 and um, then we'll read uh, the whole chapter. Father, we do want to thank you for the way that uh, ordinary people, uh, nothing special, have a part to play in the great work that you are doing in our world and we pray that we'll learn that tonight be encouraged by it tonight and join in that work tonight for the glory of your name amen, amen. so romans chapter 16 it is on page 950 and if you want to be very lazy you can it's on the screen so page 950 romans chapter 16 verse 1 Lots of names, I'm going to say them confidently, I'm not sure I've got them right, but here goes. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a sister of the church in Cancrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and my beloved statues. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions 
and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good, and innocent as to what is evil. And I want you to press the button on the projector so that screen moves on. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus, greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I'm going to pause there because uh, our children are going to uh, go out with Hannah for the very last time at least for a while because uh, Hannah starts maternity she's going to have a baby so we're starting this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his uh, friends in Rome we started that on the 14th of January we've been on a long journey we've been turning page after page every Sunday chapter after chapter and now finally we've got to the very end and you can't remember the story because it's been so long ago since we started it I'd better tell you what the story is hadn't I the story is a very simple story. The story is a very important story. It answers the question, how do people who get it wrong like us get to be acceptable to a God who is perfect? It's a good question, isn't it? If there is a God who is perfect, how can people who are not perfect get right with him? And the Bible starts, this Roman letter starts, uh, chapters 1 to 3 by telling us how people are not perfect. whole list of people who get things wrong. Even when they try their hardest, they cannot get right with God. No one can get right with God, however hard they try. Okay, Romans chapter 1 to 3 tells people that we are not right, or the Bible word is unrighteous in front of God. So how does it happen? Well, the book goes on to tell us that Jesus died on a cross and he did that so that our unrighteousness can go on to him and he takes the punishment for it we don't but Jesus doesn't just simply take our unrighteousness if you want a shorter word our sins and make them disappear what he also does is his perfect track record of obedience 
where he always got it right with God. That track record is transferred onto us. So now God looks at us and he sees that we are perfectly righteous in front of him because we've got the righteousness of Jesus. He's given it to us if we have asked him for it. That's what the book has been telling us so far. But here's the big question. The Bible tells me I'm right with God because I've asked God to give me his righteousness and he answers. So what happens then when I keep underperforming? When I keep getting things wrong, what then? How is it that the Bible tells me I'm right with God but I'm underperforming so how can I be right with God and you're underperforming and you wonder whether you can get right with God too because you think you're okay one minute and then you know you slide away. What can be said to people like us? And I guess the big answer is, okay, you might underperform, but never forget the cross, okay? Because God never underperforms. Jesus certainly did not underperform when he died for people to give them his righteousness. He did such a perfect job that, yes, he does make people righteous. We may underperform, he doesn't. That's the big answer. But the small answer is that you and I, who don't feel like we are performing well, can be massively encouraged when our Christian and brothers and sisters actually point to us and say, you know what, I'm really seeing God at work in you. And so therefore the encouragement that we bring each other means that we don't often or always have to take our word for it. Why don't we take the word of other people for it? That actually maybe we aren't falling short as much as we think. And so I think a little bit of that is going on in Romans chapter 16. Paul is writing to a group of people in the first 16 verses and he says, you are doing brilliantly well. We might say he's talking to workers at that point, okay? Verses 116, Paul is talking to workers, but then in verses 70 to 20, he is talking to wolves, or talking about wolves, certain people to avoid, in other words. I'm using the word wolves because they're generally bad for sheep, and Christians are sheep, okay? So workers and wolves, those are two things I'm talking about tonight. Let's start with the workers, Um, and uh, here we are. There's a righteous person who is happy because other people say that uh, they see God's work in that person's life. And we go on to look at the workers. Well, Paul, as I say, has a whole list of them in the first 16 verses. And it is amazing that he writes them and says, and you've done this and how much I've appreciated it. And then you've done this and how much I've appreciated that. Because Paul, let's say he's the guy who's the big man and... He is really a hero. He has been amazing in what he's been able to do with his life. He started off pretty anti-God himself, but when he 
got going, he planted churches uh, not just in one Roman province, but in six different Roman provinces he was planting churches. Now, let me tell you, we're starting a new church here, and it's difficult enough to get one church off the ground, let alone many churches in six different provinces. And yet here's a man who is able to do that. He is so amazing, he can talk to a slave girl on the one hand and a king on the other. Not many people can bridge the gap like that. Paul was unique. And unlike most of our superstars, he never took any money for his work. Always served other people at his own expense. He was one very special kind of man. I mean, we are still reading his letters today, 2,000 years later, and these letters are being read all over the world, wherever there's a Christian church. How many people can achieve that? What they've written is written, is read centuries later in every single corner of the planet. He is one important guy. Now, can you just imagine, this man, great as he is, now turning around in Romans chapter 16 and saying, but you know, I couldn't have done it without you. Wouldn't have been the same. I need these people. It's a bit like, um, you can't do things on your own. I mean, we've discovered that, didn't we? Um, uh, Argentina's discovered that. Portugal's discovered that. You can have one superstar... But unless you've got a few other people kicking the ball there your way, you're not going to do very much. And they're out of the World Cup, both left on the same day. Now, you need more than one superstar. And Paul is saying to these people, look, your work in this was absolutely essential. Phoebe, you were a patron to me. I wouldn't have done that without, uh, without uh, your help in different ways. And can you just imagine if your name was on this list and this great man has now mentioned you? Can you just imagine what you'd be feeling if you were that couple in verse 3, Prisca and Aquila. And the great apostle says, well, here are my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. What, us? Paul's fellow workers? And then you read in verse 4, and I'm thanking God for you, and not just me, but actually there's so many Christians thanking God for you. And Aquila and Priscilla scratch their heads and say, well, really? This is how God, Paul builds up people. And uh, he helps them to see uh, what they've done. Now, look, this isn't effective man management we're talking about. Yeah, make people feel important. What Paul is doing is something far deeper, far more significant than that. Because what he's doing is he's writing to people in whom God has been at work. And he says, look, I want you to know that we have seen God's grace at work in your life. Be encouraged because God is at work in you to have this effect in different ways. And so as you look at uh, these workers... What you actually are looking at is getting a few clues about what God is like. So the first thing you discover is that there is a huge amount of variety that God brings together in his church. 
And so you have men and women mentioned in this. People sometimes say that Paul is pretty anti-women. And you see the first name on the list in verse 1 is a woman. And there's men and there's women and uh, uh, there are a mixture. There's also a mixture in the types of people. There were Jews, there were Gentiles. You know there were Jews because there were kinsmen. In other words, people in Paul's family. He was Jewish, his family were Jewish. So there were people from his family, they were Jewish. But you also look at the names and lots of them are Greek-sounding names, completely non-Jewish. And they're now in the mixed bag with each other. There are some posh people, there's a city treasurer amongst them, and there's a scribe, highly educated, and then there are other people who, well you don't know anything apart from their names because who knows what they did, maybe they didn't do much, but nonetheless they have been there. They are amazingly mixed up in this church. God does that. Never when you see God at work do you see only one kind of person. You will see almost. I, I mean, I don't know how many, how many nations are here today. Uh, my guess, getting close to ten. In a small church this size. It gives you an idea of what God is like. We're not just in one particular uh, background or ethnic group there's just such a mixture God does that wonderfully and you see that variety in his church another thing that you see is the huge amount of contribution the variety of contribution that he brings out of his church so he gets uh, Phoebe in verse 1 she's not mentioned anywhere else but she's clearly in the business of helping people you see that in verse 1 with Paul and with others you see how people have been working hard in verse 6. Um, uh, Mary, who worked hard, uh, there's verse 9, our fellow worker in Christ. And then again in verse 12, I think, uh, greet those workers in the Lord. Greet uh, their beloved Persis, who's worked hard in the Lord. They've done practical things in that kind of way. There's uh, Rufus's mother in verse 13. She's, if you like, used her motherliness to uh, help others, rather like uh, Hannah is using her motherliness. Even before she is a mother, she's being a mum to our children and looking after them and teaching them. And others do that in our toddler group and so on. Their mothers using their motherliness to love kids and their parents. Others have used their houses, they've risked their lives, they've just been uh, sometimes simply great companions just by being there. doesn't say they've done anything, you just get the name. Just like people who maybe come on Sundays who may not feel they can do all that much, but nonetheless, boy, you being here, it's such an encouragement to see you. shows that you are following God and you want to keep doing that. Come wind, come shine. And as Paul loves this company that have brought their mixed contributions, the mixture of their personalities and, and types and backgrounds and the mixture of their contributions, you can see the enormous affection that there is in the church. 
get a huge amount of affection words, don't you? He's wonderfully warm-hearted. He calls them his beloved in verse 5. Greet my beloved Epinatus. And again in verse 8, uh, Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. And again in verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statues. He speaks of physical attention, uh, affection in verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. In other words, a physical sign of caring for someone which is not sexual, uh, but nonetheless which is warm and uh, communicates uh, love through touch. Now, we tend not to do too much hugging. I mean, I know Hannah's got the little picture of the man hugging. I, I personally prefer to leave that to the French. But... Um, but generally, I mean, I, we, we, we tend to show each other we love each other by insulting each other, don't we? So, you know, this is the Sunday. Verona wasn't, isn't here. She's on holiday, but she was here. We say, Verona, you're looking old today. Because she hates people saying that. But it's part of our love. You wouldn't, you, you know, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say that to, to someone like Rob. I wouldn't say that to someone like Rob because I don't like him. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't insult him. But... But, you know, it's, 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 it's like that, isn't it? So we tell the warriors, they made a, a, a rubbish lunch today for us because there wasn't enough of it. That's sort of, even our compliments, you know, that he was so good that everybody ate everything, uh, even our compliments are, are, are phrased in that kind of way. Uh, but but you, kind of, you get the affection, don't you? And actually, we do hug. And, uh, and show our, our physical affection to each other. I, I, when I grew up, I was a merchant bank in the city and uh, I went to a city church and the most we could do was to go and hold someone's elbow and say, uh, well done, Andrew, good to see you today. <coughs> Completely uh, uh, <coughs> um, uh, innocent. And, uh, but, 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 but we had to... We, we, that, that was... Uh, that was the custom in, in, in that uh, situation. Uh, I think we've warmed up now and loosened up a whole lot more since. But there we are. It's just a wonderful way of communicating affection, communicating warmth in our relationships. Because God is a wonderful communicator of warmth. And by only doing this, and Paul only does this, is because actually God is the one who commends people and he loves to do that. The Bible says when Jesus comes back, he, you know, this is a wonderful thing, is it? Why is it that we've got this list? Because God keeps lists. He doesn't forget what people have done. And here it is. We might think none of these people are very significant, but look what's happened. Right across the world, 2,000 years later, we are discovering that these guys were very significant. You wait till you see God when he comes. And he, Jesus says, will draw to himself people and he would love to say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. And when he says that to you, let me tell you, those words will be ringing in your head for the rest of eternity. You will never forget that he said that to you. If you think, you know, wow, Paul, great man as he is, puts my name in front of uh, other people and says, they did so much. Can you just imagine what it's going to be like to hear Jesus say that? When your name is mentioned? 
And it is actually important if we are talking about building up each other and honoring each other in this kind of way that we learn how to take compliments. We don't do that all that well, do we? I personally hate if someone comes along and, um, and says to me, Mike, well done. That was real. I'm so glad that hardly anyone ever does it um, because, I don't, because I don't give them any reason to. But, uh, but, but it, is a, it is a hard thing is to take a compliment, but just hand it like a flower. That someone gives you a flower. Now, don't just simply refuse it. Take it, smell it, enjoy it, but plant it in the vase of God. He's grown it in your life. If other people see that that's what he has done, then take the encouragement of what they say, but understand that it's God's work, it is his vase, and we need to be grateful to him. So, those are the workers. Let's go to the wolves, because... Um, well, you see in verse 17 that Paul isn't saying nice things to everyone. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Now, what's going on here? Let's say that the big doctrine or the big teaching or the big message of this letter is that God accepts people because he is a gracious God and you don't need to perform in order to be approved by him. Just humbly look to his son to make you righteous. That's all it takes. That is the message. But that message, I think, can be taken the wrong way or taught the wrong way into separate traps. The first trap that people can fall into is what's called legalism. That essentially is to say that if you obey God, he will approve. Okay? And the legalism trap says, look, if you're going to get right with God, you're going to be peddling very fast, doing all the right things. So then he will accept you. That's legalism. It goes contrary to grace. But the other big word, I only use it because it also begins with L, is licentiousness. Don't be too impressed. It's not a hard word to understand. It just simply means you can do what you want. You can disobey God as much as you please. It really doesn't matter because God will approve. That's what grace means. Okay? He doesn't care how you live. Live any way you want and he will give you the rubber stamp at the end. Now, that is, uh, uh, again, something that takes grace and gets it wrong. The whole point about grace is that when it captures somebody and it grabs, it enriches someone uh, and, 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 and draws someone close to God, it makes that person more like God. So that actually what we begin to do is to die to sin and live for God, which is what Jesus did. And his kind of way of living starts coming out in us. That's how grace works. 
to say, well, it doesn't really matter, is to completely get God, God's grace wrong. And the people who do it, do it with, uh, uh, you can see uh, in verse 18, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now, if I was to ask you, who does that remind you of? I mean, smooth talking and flattery, where might you have heard of that before in the Bible? Anyone want to take her? Yes. Debbie's doing her cobra uh, act. It's the snake in the Garden of Eden. Telling Adam and Eve that ah, they are going to be wise if they take this fruit. Flattering them and smooth talking in order that they go and get God's grace wrong. God's given you all this. You will never die. That's smooth talk flattery. And it encourages people to disobey God and everything will be all right. Except it won't. Well, what can we make out of all of this just as we finish? I want to suggest there might be three different groups of people we can talk to just as we finish. Let's say you're someone who's maybe never been to church before or listening to this talk on our website. And Christianity is all new to you. Um... And this is uh, something that you're just beginning to maybe think about. What has this passage got to maybe say to you? I want to suggest that it wouldn't surprise me if you come into church or listen to this on the website and you're someone who knows what it's like to live with put-downs in your life where again and again and again people have branded you a failure because you didn't quite live up to that particular expectation that they had. Now can you see a new attractive world that God brings us into when we become Christians? A world where God values people and grows flowers in their lives that other people can't help but notice and comment on. See, once you have the righteousness of Jesus, and to have the righteousness of Jesus, all you've got to do is ask him for it. That's what it says in Romans 10. Now, all you've got to do is ask and you then live after that. You live day after day after day like that man, Epelles in verse 10. You live in the approval of Christ. And therefore it's really important, isn't it, that you ask God to give you that access into his kingdom, to give you his righteousness. Because honestly, every single person in the world, whether they believe it's going to happen to them or not, will hear God say one of two things. Either Jesus will say, depart from me. Or he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You will hear one of those two utterances and that will stay in your head forever. And it's a wonderful thing to ask God to employ you as his servant and to live with the joy of his 
affection and approval day after day. Otherwise, you're going to be peddling hard. You're always going to be achieving, achieving and trying to get up higher so you look better and uh, uh, get, get work up to the grade. But in the end, that is the road to emptiness compared to the road with God's approval and living there. If you're someone who's been to churches a lot, I want to suggest to you that the wolves that the Bible is talking about are actually in the church. You can see that, can't you? If you look at verse 18, for Paul says, these people do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he saying that? Because they obviously are telling people that they are serving Jesus Christ. And Paul says, no, they're not. They've either gone into legalism or they've gone into licentiousness. And I think actually that's generally true. But, uh, Dorothy and I were talking earlier about uh, a church that she grew up in. And uh, that's just massively gone into legalism. And if you don't do all the different things that they say you've got to do. You're just not accepted in. But equally, I think there are other churches where, for example, I think largely black churches, maybe Asian churches, they wag their finger at you and if you don't do exactly what is expected, you'll be scolded and told that you're not doing what you should. That's a wolf message. We need to call it what it is. But that may be true of some churches in certain contexts, but in other churches, I think, for example, in the Church of England, in our country largely, I think the problem is the other thing, licentiousness. doesn't matter what you do, that's fine. So gay marriage or any other kind of relationship outside marriage That'll be fine. Really, don't worry about it. God's happy. That's licentiousness. That's wolf talk in the national church of today. So we need to take care to avoid uh, uh, being influenced by that because it will ultimately lead us, mislead us to get grace wrong. But thirdly, what happens if you're a Christian? I want to suggest it's a great thing to look out for the work of God's grace in one another's lives and to thank God for them and to let them know. So can I ask you, how do you publicly talk about the people in your church? I want to suggest that we should put on new eyes so that we see each other through what God is actually doing in each other's lives recognizing that loving it so how do you talk about your wife your kids your parents your church let it be like this because you've got new eyes to see God's work in those different situations I think our problem is we don't see new eyes because we see through old eyes. And when we look at people through old eyes, where we might be focusing on the one or two things that bother us rather than ten things. 
uh, that uh, uh, wonderfully we appreciate. Let's look at each other with new eyes, the way Paul looks at his church. He isn't flattering people for being really good at something. He's just simply saying, I'm holding you up for honor because God's work is evident in you. And the work that has come out of your life in so many different ways has been the outworking of his grace. Be massively encouraged that he is doing that with you. And it would be really wonderful, wouldn't it, if uh, Romans 16 and this way of handling each other becomes the culture of uh, Beckentry Church. Let's pray it well. I want to suggest that we spend one minute uh, maybe just talking to God quietly by ourselves about the things he has said to us from the Bible. One minute to do that privately, personally. Then I'll round up with one prayer. And then after that, please, we have opportunity to have questions, uh, maybe together work out some answers, uh, because we don't want this to be just me talking. You can come back and disagree and say whatever you like. That's allowed as well. But let me ask you to pray first, one minute of silence, then I'll pray, and then we'll take questions and have some answers. our minute service so let me pray as we finish our heavenly father we we praise you that you work in the lives of your people and you bring us great joy as we see the effects of grace in each other help us to grow that joy for one another to have those new eyes with which we may see and value people but also to be aware of the woes that will take us away from the joy of grace by either legalism or licentiousness. Please help us to see when that happens and take care. Keep us, we pray, growing in you and bringing honour and glory to your name. Amen.